Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackM and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode was serverless at the edge, and it ends up being serverless at the edge part one because we had a lot to say. This was a dynamic and engaged conversation about what is serverless? Do we need serverless? How is edge serverless different than cloud serverless? We covered all those topics and came out with an idea of the edge environments and collecting data from sensors at the edge needs to be something that is heterogeneous and multi-vendor and dynamic uh, and centralized but where centralized is a really serious question. And I think that the serverless aspect of this really drives home the idea that we need to be able to make small, quick, easy updates into an edge environment, into a sensor environment. But how we accomplish that is still to be defined. And that will end up being part two. Enjoy part one. Topic for today, I'm going to transition us is serverless at the edge, um, which I know a lot of you are, and I appreciate the big group. Um, I'm going to stop the, I'll keep on. Uh, because this is really an important topic. There's a lot of um, assessment in conversations that we've had in the past that, you know, having a serverless platform would be critical to making the edge. Um, easy to use and portable and multi-tenant. Um, but we haven't really agreed on the, the way that would come about and if it was standard tech. So I'd, I'd love to open the floor. Is serverless at the edge as important as as we think it's going to be? Is, is there a case study or a use case that people are thinking about? Nah. <laughs> I nah, agree. No, <laughs> I, I I second the nah. <laughs> it, it it if it happens, it would be a very limited use case. Um, particularly because we, I mean, at least from what we've been discussing in the past, edge is more about pre-digesting data as we are collecting it, and not so much about uh, distributing compute capacity from a central location out to to the edge. I would oh. I would okay. uh, suggest that uh, IoT um, is uh, basically the the use case, the most likely one. Um, especially, there's been uh, plenty. It hasn't really been adopted that much that I've seen so far, but there's plenty of potential for IoT at the city level. And cities actually getting involved in uh, trying to manage the flow of data, um, uh, both identifying it uh, coming from households and businesses, but also um, influencing it. Um, I'd, I'd use um, the Open Mobility Foundation as an example. There's a couple of other organizations like it, but they're actively involved in both producing, curating, and influencing data. And uh, whether or not it's the right thing for them to do or not, but it's something that they want to do. Um, so, right, so, so that's for edge computing. But when we're talking about serverless, we inherently are talking about the ability to push out arbitrary compute functions to, to, the, to the edge nodes and have them calculate yes. that. Is that really a use case that, that is necessary? Yes. I, 
I, I would just say that that's yep. definitely to scale. Um, they're going to have to. I mean, there's not going to be much option. Um, I'm, not, know, I'm not convinced. Running a traditional model is is not going to scale at all. So they're going to have to figure out how to break up everything into smaller, discrete functions so that they can um, scale up and scale down. And that's. And, and I'm not convinced it's microservices at the edge on that, Sean. I think it could be just applications going to the uh, edge servers because you've got you've got less control you have more uh more lossy environments and whatnot and so you need something that maintains life uh and microservices can't exist in a won't exist in a vacuum and so yeah the way they've done space and a lot of these other things it'll be a mesh of servers and those servers would be running some of them would be running microservices but most of them i think will be running uh specified uh apps uh focused apps no i i wonder that makes some sense to me because i mean if you look at network services and the way that network services come together right we don't we don't have functions running on switches we have basically little apps right um which you could think of as i guess i mean the, the difference between a small app and a microservice is in my opinion especially if it's api driven is almost indistinguishable but um but i wonder though to the extent to which what will matter for most in terms of consuming the edge will be the serverless approach with smart connectivity to a data center backend um and and that you would rather than uh rather than you know and then the a set of services that you would deploy and run on the edge as well right so that so that um the majority of consumption is real that developers are thinking about are in terms of either functions or api calls that are being made at the edge as opposed to deploying um a unit of work as big as a you know even a microservice or an app and just just my thought because i i think of it in terms of that scale that jeffrey was scale thing right you know mm -hmm. at what point in time does your edge server get so large that it should be branched into more you know even more edges it should be broken down and even more fractal than it is and um so i know it's, it's a sorry it's a little bit of wavering thing but i i i honestly wonder if we're just going to see an operating system like experience that can run functions on the edge with a bunch of services that are sort of deployed as a part of that OS and less each individual group having to deploy their own stuff out there. To a, to a degree, we, you, we kind of see that already in, in the browser environments with WebAssembly. Yes. Mm -hmm. mm. That's part is partially what I'm thinking about. That's exactly the kind of thing, because what I'm seeing is this, this big growth of um, of that idea of minimize my unit of deployment and uh, and maximize the utility of what I can get around that unit of deployment. And uh, the, the example that I would give um, that's going to become more and more common as uh, um, data volume ramps up is filtering and pre-processing. Yep. Um, so uh, yep. A, if you're trying to push a couple terabytes of data out of a, a specific locality um, to uh, 
to let's say just to um, manage and, and to uh, well, if you're if you're pushing that much data, something's got to be done. Um, there's always there's never going to be enough bandwidth. Uh, there's never going to be right. enough data storage. There's right. always going to be over um, over capacity. So what do you do with it? It's the same problem that all the high energy physics labs deal with every all the time. They've been dealing right. with it for thirty years. They never have enough uh, storage. So they're always constantly figuring out. Okay, we did this experiment. Um, we've got 10 petabytes worth of data. How much do we save and what do we save? Um, and then even getting back the data, maybe 20 years in the future, they have the same problem again. How much of that original data set we saved a terabyte, how much do we recover and actually work on? It's probably only a couple gig or maybe even, you know, half the data set, but they don't even recover the entire data set to actually, uh, work on it. So it's the same problem. They're going to have to do pre-processing and if, I, I'd argue that that stuff is essentially functions. You know, if if I'm filtering out certain types of data that I don't want, um, or uh, maybe shunting it to a secondary storage, that's pretty pretty simple function. And I wouldn't call that an app. I'd call that serverless function. But- yeah, Sean, I'm, I'm right there with you 100 percent on that. And I think the aggregation to the trunk um, is a hugely important point. And, uh, and it's really, um, uh, it, it, it's, it's really kind of the pattern that you already kind of see already, even among organizations that think they can save everything is they want that ability to figure out whether they remove data from the data set or they aggregate data into some sort of metric that's still useful for downstream analysis, right? And both of those things, once you figure out the algorithm, both of them are basically functional actions. There's really no need for a large-scale multifunction application to to do that. Oh, dub to it, Joanne. Go go ahead. I have some things, but I've been taking notes so I can come back to it. So okay, I think no, that's. A, go ahead, Joanne. Oh, thanks. Well, one of the things that is starting to come to to the surface as top of mind in manufacturing, particularly where there's huge volume of data, is separating compute from storage and then pre and post filtering. Because what do you need to keep for the immediate short term, like the next hour, versus what do you need to keep for the next 24 hours, 48 hours, a shift, anything like that. And so one of the difficulties they're having with a lot of not edge services, but edge devices, is that they're dumb devices, number one. Where are you going to store the data? How are you going to pre-process and post-process to get the continuous stream? And in the overall edge computing environment, they're looking at now the idea of multiple edge servers doing part and parcel of the pre, post, and storage as a cluster, which doesn't really go with headless very much, but is starting to come into this notion of how do we compose this in a way that we can do all of that because we don't know where we need the continuity or the continuous stream of data and we don't know where we can uh, stop it, pre-process and store or stop it, pre-process, let it go to the next step and then post-process, right? Because you're going to have different circumstances at each and every point of a production line. So in a high volume, low mix factory, 
you may have one set of design points and in the converse, which is a low mix, a low volume, high mix factory, you're going to have absolutely the other. So you have nothing that gives you a standard for one factory over another, but rather a set of design points that you're going to have to address across, if it's a global corporation, multiple sites. And so they're looking for a way to compose this. And they're also looking for a way to use a combination, what, what I've been you know euphemistically calling nodems, because you have these little kind of kingdoms of nodes and what they're made out of doesn't really matter. It's the fact that they're contiguous for, yeah. for use for a particular factory. And that's where I come in and from my perspective and say, microservices, not so much. It's more along the lines of the operating system itself has to have a way of dealing with the uh, the basic functionality and then you compose the, you have a composable system where you plug and play these, um, these algorithms for pre, pre-processed, mixed process, post-process and whatnot. And so you need a composable infrastructure, which means you still need that, that control in the edge processor that, that orchestrates the different ways you're going to access this data based on everything from uh, the types of nodes providing it to uh, uh, the business needs. And that's why microservices alone, it's not going to be quite, I don't think it in many instances, but not all, but there's a lot of instances where it's going to be much more purpose built for a specific vertical uh, to, to be able to compose on top of it. That's yeah, actually I, really fascinating. And um, I, I could see an angle where there's an underlying labor la- layer that's general. And then there's, but their their product offerings are more opinionated to specific industries. I could absolutely see the, the market breaking down that way. It's, it's, it's yep. a very strong possibility. It, and I'd add that I wouldn't call these things operating systems because um, uh, you know, there, there fundamentally is an operating system under these things. Um, generally, Debian, Ubuntu, or RHEL, or something like that. Not uh, in IO, industrial IoT. There's like well, there still is a lot of these things are a lot dumber. And well, it may, it may be embedded, operating. but it's there's still an OS under there. I mean, it has to boot up. It has to have firmware. You know, there still is an operating system. So calling it an operating system on top of it um, doesn't doesn't work. At least no, it's it's it's, the, it's the protocol. It's the protocol. The, you think about a dumb device. You, the method of communication where you update the firmware versus a microservice, which implies the installation and running of an uh, HTTP server to sure. process those requests. But, so, so but, wait, but, but hold, hold on a second. James, James, you mind if I, I jump in for a second no, no, on the OS please, thing? Because I, I think you're going to take us to a higher level. But an operating system's job is to connect uh, IO events from persistent and network storage and computational resources. So while it might not be like a Linux operating system, 
there there is definitely a need to have a consistent standardized way to connect io at different types of io and compute infrastructure it i mean that that to me well, is is clearly mm -hmm. a gap go ahead Jim. And, and no and i think so yeah. that, you went right down the kind of the road i was going down which is so then you look at the fact that at the system distributed system scale what is the io right, right? and that's a, so that's a different unit right that's a server that's a disk system it's whatever but i guess my argument about why i use the the operating system i've used operating system and compiler like environment because to me what's really big about this is there needs to, there's an optimization function that's going to have to be built in this thing on a distributed basis in order for it to be dead simple for for developers to kind of use it without worrying about where is this running what you know right so um if i deploy a function right now in um what was it cloudflare whichever the whichever the um content network is that does the functions right i don't worry about what server they're going to run it on because underlying they have algorithms that figure out where should I put this to make it run effectively? My argument for Lam about Lambda and AWS, and I would not be surprised to see announcements coming up about this, is they're going to have to get smarter and smarter about where they place workloads relative to each other in their network in order to reduce the whether well, one of the big problems with lambda is when you end up having to make a call between things you end up having to make a network hop and that network hop is unpredictable and so they're going to i'm guessing that they're going to do things to optimize that and if you're going to if you've got a function that's going to be calling a given um dynamo db instance or a dynamo db account or whatever okay how do we make sure we begin to optimize that traffic a little bit that to me is an an operating system like function Right. It's how do I arrange and organize and and make decisions to improve the performance of the overall system based on how I can utilize the resources I'm I'm allocating on behalf of, of the things that are running on me. So that was my thought. Yeah, I would also consider the standardization part of that. Right. Because part of what an operating system does is it provides the you know the bus. That, that people use to connect into. Yeah, and the the you mentioned it earlier, the the functionality of IO um, running over a bus, um, persistent physical storage, physical memory, uh, all those functions are, are are inherent in an operating system and essentially uh, what the compiler has to take into account to make it so that the machine language of the the device actually can process the memory. So that stuff doesn't uh, apply to the example. What, what I would call um, uh, what we're doing is it's more of, um, and we, we've been doing this for about a decade now, we've been orchestrating workloads um, and we've gotten better at it. Um, but uh, uh, to a certain extent, what we're in, and Rob's business is built on this is uh, making hardware more easily available so that we can uh, do, so we can orchestrate things and make them more de decomposable and make it easier to mix and match and to change our mind and to say, you know, this week I want this rack and row at this particular data center to run monitoring um, because it's, you know, about to be decomped. And I want um, these five rows at these spread out over these data centers to be running compute because this is my newest stuff. Um, that kind of flexibility of moving 
decomposable workloads around is what we're all trying to do. Um, whether or not moving it to the edge makes sense or not um, is really uh, has to do more with the speed of light than it has to do with anything else. Because moving data across physical localities is expensive um, because it's there's limitations. You can't just uh, you'll get milli, uh, milliseconds at best latency where if it's very close to each other on the same network, in a lot of cases, you'll get microseconds. And in a lot of cases for um, synchronization type functions, you that's a requirement. You can't do without it. Like databases will fail if you, um, certain functions, if they don't have that, that microsecond latency as opposed to millisecond. So just as an example. I think that the one big issue that was brought up a little bit earlier was who's going to be orchestrating those workloads? Is it going to be individual companies or is it going to be specific providers? So is AWS going to be orchestrating how it's providing the, the functions within this whole entire cloud? Or am I going to basically be choosing the pricing and where I'm going to be running the different compute on different clouds? So right now, it's not worth it for anybody to orchestrate for cost optimization purposes, where you're running different workloads from different clouds. It's too much effort to try to, <laughs> to migrate workloads from one place to another, to another, to another, or to try to decide you're gonna run, you do it for some things. You run part of your, your app on one with one cloud, run part of your app on another cloud. But ideally, you could you basically you could optimize how you run applications different different parts of the world, partially based off of how you get latency and the best response, but partially based off of price and performance issues. Um, and that's really, it's just an equation and it's something that's gonna be considered, should be considered with serverless. I think the Rocky was talking about using the word composable. The reason, one of the reasons why serverless is Interesting, serverless, serverless and event-driven architecture is all about composable architecture and it makes it easier to mix and match these all these different, makes more options possible. Well, I think it comes down to the use case, right? I'm thinking, I'm listening to what, what you guys are saying. I'm thinking, well, let's look at play, uh, emerging IoT space like webcams right so you've got millions of customers with webcams where the data is uploaded to the cloud and the method for updating those webcams is still a firmware update and the reason why is because um, if you're going to support different resolution modes so pre-filtering the video feeds coming out of the cameras for example um, a firmware update doesn't happen that often. It takes a couple of minutes. Um, that's acceptable because of the static nature of the requirements of processing the data at the edge. So what are the use cases where, where the requirements for data processing or data handling are not static? where they're highly variable and indeterminate, where 
that would require more modularity for implementing something like a serverless deployment model for edge devices. And I don't have I'll any ideas a, for what those use cases would be, frankly. I'll take a, I'll take a stab at that if, if it's all right with, with everybody else. Um, because to me, and, and there's there's an economics component for this also, because to me, the 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 ultimate evolution for edge moves towards not having cameras that are complex enough to need a lot of BIOS updates and therefore making them cheaper and more accessible. So the, a place where you might have, you know, cameras that cost a dollar sprinkled throughout a room um, and then are part of a house edge environment or a, bil a building or a, 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 you know, whatever the, the edge environment. And in those cases, the, the computational actions that you're describing, which I think are totally legitimate, a different filter, a different analysis technique, uh, maybe combining feeds from two different cameras, which you can't do in a camera, so it has to be offloaded. Um, those things become um, what, what in serverless we would talk about as an event response. So you would subscribe to a feed off of a camera, you would get the data stream, you would process that as an event or a stream action. That's serverless. You don't need a server or a VM or an application to do it. You want to be able to say, here is my payload. When this stream or event comes in, run these actions, eject this data back out of the system. And I can easily see in the, the edge scenario where it's highly beneficial to have very inexpensive sensors that I can array in the system and then, and then create products, right? Applications that subscribe to standardized events and streams, perform actions, and then eject actions. And, and we actually create a economy of that of those systems. But that makes the camera just a sensor. Um, yeah, I, I, I agree with that, is, Rob. Is the unit. Rob, right? I agree so, with that. My, yeah. my point, though, is that those, those event listeners and um, event handlers, will those serverless functions will not be in the sensors uh they're going to be in the cloud i don't think they're going to be i don't think they can be in the cloud i think that they're going to be at the edge this well, is you're not going to backhaul the the video stream to the cloud so that you can run lambda on it that's you, you're, you're going to have to do that work locally as joanne right? said notums uh, so uh, i think edge clouds known as and call them notums <laughs> I, I mean that that pre-processing, depending on 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 some technologies, it's already happening at the edge. Like take for example, um, like uh, security monitoring cameras. Uh, if you, if you look at uh, some of those cloud integrated ones, motion detection is happening on the camera. The thing though is that this this is a firmware feature. It's a it's an or, or like Rocky, you, you said before, it's an app. Yeah. This is not serverless. Like do, do and, and I think that this is what, what we've been going back and forth is like, do we need to, to have the ability to push out on demand different types of edge uh, data processing or because the, our sensor is gonna be simple. It's gonna be domain specific. So we do we need a generalized compute uh, flexibility of serverless yep. on on these domain I, specific edge devices? 
Uh, one thank would you, Klaus. That's, that's, one, that's one, the question. When would a container be uh, economically viable to push out to a sensor? I probably never. Yeah. I think is nobody wants to spend ten bucks on a sensor when you can do it for a buck or fifty cents. But, it's, but it's it's not even. But to me, it's started to jump in. I, it's it's not just whether or not it's economically viable to put enough compute on the sensor. The thing that's going to make edge powerful is aggregation of data, right. not making individual sensors smarter. So the question is, where, the, where does that aggregation occur? It may not be in the cloud. In some cases, you'll have multiple tiers of aggregation, right? Um, in other cases, aggregating at the cloud layer makes more sense, like with the webcams. Um, but I'm of the opinion that I think Sean and Klaus are is that that we're not going to be loading functions on dumb IoT devices. Mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and, and, and that's well, in reverse. Yeah. I mean, it's just cycling services are already doing it, right? Yeah. And they're just doing it in the opposite direction. Yeah, the the, uh, the direction is is what matters. Like when 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 the sensor is aggregating the data or or pre-processing it for us, um, the this is again a function that is specific to the sensor. You might want to change it by, say, uploading a new blob that that is able to to have a different sensor capacity or a, a different feature that that processes the data differently. But when we talk serverless, usually we talk about uh, us pushing requests to the serverless platform for it to process it and then send it back to us. And the, the us to them uh, direction that it, I just don't see it happening at the edge. Like at, at least not 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 with with the frequency. Like we we certainly like we 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 want to push updates to the edge to, but we don't want to push requests to the edge. The edge sends the the stream of information to us. Right. We, Why we wouldn't you? Hmm. Why wouldn't you want to have the edge push it to? Uh, sorry, have it be bidirectional. That's the word I was looking for. So control of the edge yeah. device, yes, bidirectional. But stream of data, I I, I don't see it as being bidirectional. We, we, we run into the same network bottleneck that, that we've been discussing before otherwise. Yeah, no. If it's a stream and it's an aggregation of multiple dumb devices all pushing data into an aggregated state at an edge server, I buy in immediately. And that should be queryable from any other node in the nodem. Right. Because you're going to take that information and the whole idea, as far as I see it, and, and this may not fit into the regime of serverless, but the whole idea is to be able to share that data across devices, humans, different departments, different suppliers, upstream, downstream, it doesn't matter. That's the theory of interconnectedness that runs across all of the IIoT. So why wouldn't it why wouldn't you want to have it a bidirectional capability? Well I think it depends on the IoT device. They're not all you know let, let's look at um, 
autonomous vehicles. Right. Um, so you have a Tesla that has, you know, massive computing power, yet you can consider the Tesla as a edge device where then you have at a different scale, you have the the vision systems and right. and and other sensors on the vehicle that are also edge devices, whereas the central processing uh, function of the Tesla is an aggregator as well, where it's aggregating that. And the feeds coming from the sensors are uh, essentially unidirectional data feeds that go into the Tesla where it aggregates. So if you consider the Tesla as the edge, then yeah, I think it makes total sense to have bi-directional flow for processing of data, but not for the not for the dumb sensors that could still be running like a Raspberry Pi, like some old version of Linux that's still doing some image pre-processing before it goes into the central Tesla unit. So I think it's the best way to look at this is kind of a hierarchical. And I think where we're different in the opinion says we're not really, we're just looking at it at a different level of abstraction of the network overall. I think well, I guess that there's also... Yeah. There's something else I want to... A really good example <laughs> is um, everyone wants to get access to that data. Manufacturers of the refrigerators will want to share it with as many um, as they get smarter and smarter with as many um, uh, re uh, sellers of, of groceries, which is a huge business and keeps expanding. All the former department stores are now selling groceries and will continue to do so. Um, it's a massive business um, and will only get bigger and bigger. Um, so that that's different stages of data where the manufacturer of Samsung or LG or whoever is making the refrigerators and then uh, giving access of that data to some uh, seller of groceries so they can not only sense when the you're out of milk, but also pre-positioning milk to be available for the demand that's going to come, uh, toilet paper, whatever example. Um, and then the, the locality is going to want to have access to that data as well, because they're going to want to know what's going on with the uh, distribution system, because now they're going to, uh, as they're getting smarter, uh, now that they're smart cars and, um, and uh, uh, sensors all over town because they want to control Uber not to run rampant over their city, now that they're going to want to have access to all the data, because they're already aware of this stuff um, that started uh, with uh, the OMF. So there's going to be all kinds of consumers at different stages of the data um, and uh, all the way back to the company that's actually managing the fridge. So um, Tesla is a good example, but I think refrigerators just um, it's on the very beginning edge of um, to misuse that word um, of what we'll see in the future because um, it's big business. Everyone wants a piece of it. Oh, there, there's no question. I, I, I'm yielding to rich. Uh, thanks. There's something that seems to be missing from the conversation. Actually, two things. Um, one is we've talked about the communication from the edge inbound on a hierarchical basis to the cloud. Somehow they've, there's a gray boundary between. We haven't really discussed the demands and the change of demands on edge processing, 
that comes from your neighbors, from the, the neighboring nodes, from other things that are downstream in a pipeline, be a manufacturing process or a, a traffic process. So I'd, I'd like to basically say that if the nature of the requirement is one of I need to gather processing power, perhaps on an event-driven basis, from my nearby neighbors, could be in an energy, could be in data communications, could be IoT, I suppose. Uh, and but it brings up this whole notion of the the formation and the um, the teardown of temporary networks or temporary associations, which you know, in my mind, offer a possibility that you may need this kind of functionality at the edge. Uh, the second point actually derives from this first one, and that is context changes. There are any number of times when I can think of in the IoT arena, data communications, telecommunications, when the nature of traffic, the nature of external events are go is going to modify the demands that I have for latency. Uh, it modifies the kind of uh, demand that I have for local, very rapid processing for the purpose of forecasting or predicting what's coming up. So at that point, um, you have a, a situation where this is a very fluid situation at the edge and the demand for um the demand for on demand may change very rapidly so i just want to throw those two notions out there and see what everyone's reaction is i th i think you hit a couple good points there rich and um i mean it it kind of also <laughs> covers what, what I've been trying to convey uh, rather unsuccessfully. It, and and that's not so much that I don't think, it, it's not that I don't think that there's a, that there's no need for bi-directional uh, communication. I, I just think that in, in, in the edge uh, uh, environment, the initiator of the communication is the edge device. That the edge device guards the data and initiates the, the sending or streaming that data to where it belongs. Well, just remember it, that, just, that <laughs> content delivery network, CDNs, uh, if you look at their architecture and then say, I want to reverse the polarity, and instead of moving content out as close to the point of distribution, last mile distribution as possible, uh, what I'm doing is onboarding data from these devices that are the dumb devices, capturing it locally, caching it, perhaps processing it, going to uh, Joanne's point about progressive uh, processing. You know, these are these are two different um, 
design patterns that are you know basically the the reverse or the obverse of one another all right so so taking your your, your catch example mm. for example um, uh, just taking it further uh see Lawrence um uh so so the request comes from the client but the data comes from the back end it, it, the data flow is from the back end to the client and and your cache doesn't actively fetch the data from the back end until it's requested yeah mm. I, uh, but even I guess. But, but i hold on uh, although I, but i think we're missing something when we talk about edges and sensors the edge the sensors are interacting with the environment and and so at, at the end of the day that's either something happening in the environment that we're detecting or a person that's interacting with the systems that are then being like it's you know the sensors aren't actually the beginning of the edge interaction the sensors are the, the middle from that perspective it's like they exist because they are receiving information that we then want to process um and and I, that's that's what's funny about this conversation I, i've been thinking about the sensor as the beginning and I, I think that might be a mistake because ultimately the goal here is providing a feedback loop. If if one thinks about the use of serverless as being event driven, we, well, let's let's just put a pin in that one for a second. Rob is yeah, is event driven kind of the uh, the code word or the or the the presupposition for serverless and wherever it is. And if that's the case, then you have to say, where is that event coming from? What's the, what's the origin of that event? To Klaus's point is, if that event is, um, if the origin of the event and the event stream is elsewhere, other than the the local environment and the sensors from which I'm uh, I'm drawing data, then I have to consider directionality, you know, as being as coming from pretty much anywhere. You know, could come from the hierarchy, could come from my neighbors, what have you. So, can I just ask before I? drop off and and leave you with it. Yeah, we have to be a um, yeah. For our purposes here, serverless at the edge is characterized as being event driven and on demand. Are there any other high order adjectives that we want to kind of add to that? That is a great question. Um, and probably worthy of a whole other of a whole other section, because um, I have ideas that I know would spark additional conversation, <laughs> and I'm willing to hold them up and and throw it in the backlog to make this a part two. So thank you for listening to this really dynamic conversation about serverless at the edge. Clearly, part two is needed, where we're going to start defining some of the components of edge discussions. We're planning to have that on January 13th. 
Uh, and so please come back uh, if, or listen to that episode. At the 2030.cloud is the place for all your Cloud 2030 resources and histories and notes. And even more important, the link so that you can join in these conversations. Looking forward to hearing from you there. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly, or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and you know laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.